to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined via Zoom by Matthew Caller of Purple Insider. Matthew, thanks for being with me. You know, we don't live that far away from each other. Somebody could have made a little crosstown trek for this uh, because, you know, we're not that busy these days. I've been looking around for things to do. I've been thinking about uh, new hobbies during the playoffs to learn. You know, I've had enough of these playoffs where I'm sitting home and watching instead of covering games that uh, maybe I should have had an actual plan. Yeah, right. Maybe you haven't crafted your offseason plan yet of all the things. It's cold out there. That's that's why I didn't want to make all the you know the drive all the way into South Minneapolis. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And, you know, I moved from a house that had a two car garage to only one. And you can guess between me and the wife whose car gets the garage. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm better off in here anyway. Uh, well, again, thank you for joining. We'll, we'll talk about get your reaction to the playoffs here. The first round, as you mentioned, the Vikings, li- Vikings lists playoffs the nfc north um continuing to win with with green bay and detroit moving on and then getting into some vikings offseason stuff and then obviously an old staple of stefan Diggs tweets i cannot wait to get into that uh, but matt just when you see jared goff your guy when when you see jordan love who was really nobody's guy a few months ago when uh what were your thoughts on on seeing the first round in general uh, i guess i mean i wasn't really shocked by Detroit winning because we saw that team and we saw how good that offense is. And despite all their holes on defense, they have one particular game wrecker who wrecked the game Mm -hmm. at times against the Los Angeles Rams, but also that building Ford field. uh, I was a little bit jealous. You know, there've been some times where we've been in playoff atmospheres covering games in us bank stadium, where they show the noise meter hitting whatever peak number and uh funny aside the noise meter inside the stadium actually is the number because there was the game where zimmer was about to get fired and people showed up but nobody cheered the whole game and the noise meter didn't do anything (laughs) i was like oh my gosh it's actually real uh but you know with with ford field looking like that i was like this is what happens when you rebuild a team the right way you draft a ton of great weapons around your quarterback and then you have a quarterback who's capable of not only executing, but every once in a while using that big arm to make a special play. And, you know, the people debate a lot about Jared Goff and put him in sort of the same Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins category. And I just don't really look at it that way. I mean, I think when a guy is capable of having as many top five offenses as he has, there must be something we're missing in a lot of box scores. And I think we actually saw it in that game. He went something like 22 for 22 with a clean pocket. And it actually kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Drew Brees where, you know, it's not always the wow throws that we see from Patrick Mahomes or something. It's this like time and time and time again, the ball comes out to the right person. Sometimes it wobbles a little bit for Jared Goff, but it just, it's like on time, on time, on time. And I thought that throughout that game, it kind of wore down the Rams. And then at the end, you need one first down. And there he is, Jared Goff with that first down. So I've always had immense respect for him, especially since we went out to Los Angeles that one time and saw him put up a perfect quarterback rating. Um, But, you know, I think that he it's like 
quarterbacks get often criticized for what they have around them, which I think is really unfair because I don't know of any great quarterbacks throughout history that just had nothing. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe Patrick Mahomes is doing that this year, but most of the time you've got great coach, you've got great scheme. And then how good can you be? But you look at the way that that team was constructed. They executed their plan from start to finish. And you know who else did the green Bay Packers are in the middle of it, but they executed their plan. And when we went into the season, there were three teams in the NFC North that had a very distinct and clear laid out plan. The, the Lions were going to tank. They were going to draft a bunch of people and they were going to build around golf. And the Packers were going to kind of tear it down, get a lot younger, draft a bunch of receivers and build around Jordan Love. And the Bears were going to hope that Carolina was terrible and then hope they made progress, right? And every one of those teams had it work out exactly how they would have dreamed to be here in the divisional round, to have Jordan Love look like he might be the best quarterback in the entire NFC. And then, you know, to have uh, Caleb Williams be right there on your doorstep for the Chicago Bears. And if you're the Minnesota Vikings, you got to go, wait, not even one of their plans could have blown up in their face. And I think it should, if they were planning on just bringing back Kirk Cousins and competing, it should change their viewpoint because I don't see this team keeping up with other teams like that, who now I think you have a, a gifted quarterback, a super stack team, and another team that's about to draft a really gifted quarterback. Like that's not an easy place to win now when the Vikings need maybe five, six starters on defense just this offseason alone. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Yeah, when you were talking about Jared Goff, it made me think of uh, what Wes Phillips, one of his former coaches in in L.A., had to say about him when the Vikings were facing Detroit uh, at the end of the season and just saying that this is a guy that if everything is set up for him, like if you've got the scheme for him and somebody's open, whether read number one or read number five, he will always get it out and he will always do it. And then I think Wes was trying to impart on you know us in the media, like that's not something that everybody can do. And obviously, as Nick Mullins and Josh Dobbs and all these other guys kind of crash and fail around them. Uh, the Vikings really missed the Kirk Cousins like aspect that Jared Goff uh, brings to Detroit and Goff is physically more talented. He's he's obviously, uh, I think, a better quarterback just in terms of what he's physically capable of doing. Um, but he is he has that Cousins like approach to him where everything is robotic and everything does seem to come out when it needs to. And the the back thing or the thing with him was always, well, you can fluster him. You can pressure him. Well, not if he's getting the ball out. You're right. If it's, if quarterbacks or sacks are truly a quarterback stat, uh, he's learned to kind of mitigate that by just playing well and getting that ball out and, and being in a very well-schemed offense that allows him to do it. Unlike Nick Sirianni and Jalen hurts in that Tampa Bay game. So I think you make some great points about golf. He certainly lived up to it in, in that first round. How far do you think either of those two NFC North teams are going to go? I think this weekend um, should be it for Green Bay when you look at the 49ers 
team overall, top to bottom. I mean, there's only one roster in my mind in the entire NFL that's better than San Francisco, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. And, of course, there's no guarantees in the playoffs, and one team can have a bad game, or the guy can tear the UCL in his elbow and just not make the Super Bowl because that happens in the NFC Championship game like uh, last year with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, and Brock Purdy. But, um, you know, when you go through that that whole team – it is just so stacked. I, there's just all pros everywhere. They were like, you know, our defensive line is already the best in the league. You know who we should get is uh, Chase Young. Like, let's just get this former top draft pick. And, of course, he stepped into a role there and played pretty well. And Randy Gregory is available. Sure, why not? Why not more defensive linemen? I th- ultimately, I think the roster strength will play in here as good as Jordan Love has been. As much as Joe Barry's defense has turned it around to some extent, uh, they still have, I think, way more weaknesses from a position-to-position standpoint uh, than Green Bay does. And, you know, Jordan Love is playing great. Uh, and so he, I think, evens the score a little bit there. They also kind of throw it to everybody, which is really interesting to me that a lot of teams focus on one or two wide receivers, but both of these teams really do it. But Green Bay, it could be any given game where, you know, Christian Watson doesn't catch the ball at all. And somebody else, Dontavian Wicks, uh, he's a guy that 10 years from now, when people are naming random receivers, they'll be like, remember Dontavian Wicks and Bo Melvin? Like these are, these names are hilarious. These are like when you, you would do the Madden and it generates the draft class, yep. <laughs> like Dontavian Wicks, come on, that's not a name. And, uh, but they have a lot of guys who uh, Jordan Love distributes the ball to and these two offenses boy our guy Gary Kubiak must be just a a tear of joy rolling down his cheek watching Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan go at it so I think it will be like a good matchup from that perspective and Jordan Love one of the things you mentioned sacks it's just not talked about enough the guy doesn't take sacks which is really remarkable for a playmaking type of quarterback and with the, the pressure that they can put on I think that's a huge advantage for him that he doesn't I just think the San Francisco is farther along in their roster journey, right? And for Detroit, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. I mean, I I respect the heck out of the roster for uh, Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles and their defense. And look, you know, when Jared Goff gets pressured, he is horrible. He is absolutely horrible when he gets pressured. That's the one Achilles heel that he has because he can't move. And uh, you know that Todd Bowles is going to go full Brian Flores and send any blitz and every blitz that he can come up with. So how they diagnose that, how they deal with that uh, is going to be a deciding factor there. But if you were Detroit, you were dreaming of getting this matchup. Like, yeah, give, give me all day long probably the worst team in the playoffs, uh, you know, and I think that Philadelphia kind of imploding on themselves. They were a better roster and a better team, but AJ Brown wasn't playing. They kind of fell apart. You'd much rather play against Baker Mayfield and that team than you would Philadelphia, I think. So Detroit got a very favorable uh, matchup. And if they can't win it, then it'll be, I think, a huge disappointment for them. Yeah, so you got Lions Niners um, in the NFC title game. That that would be a fun one. And I have a hard time arguing seeing that because I think Green Bay's defensive turnaround when you look at what they did toward the end of the season this is a team that lost the Giants on like December 9th or whatever it was they lost who was there's another bad team the Steelers I think they lost to the Steelers in November um they couldn't stop a nosebleed in the run game they haven't faced a good rushing offense in some time Dallas is not one uh, and in their end of the season run I think it was against really bad rushing teams including the Vikings for instance 
Um, so I think the Niners are going to run wild on him. I think McCaffrey has had two weeks off. He'll yeah, so he'll have two weeks off going into this game. I, I agree with you. We don't need to spend too much time on that. But um, so in in discussion of how far the Vikings are from these teams, you mentioned replacing six seven starters. Um, really not having, I mean, whiffing on an entire draft class, essentially in 2022. Um, let's talk about who they have really to build around when we move into the off season. Cause there's going to be a lot of discussion about the free agents. What do they do at quarterback? What are the building blocks? So when you look at this roster and you look at, and I decided to try and break it down by, by age and just, um, presume starters, meaning the guys that have earned that right to be, be in the starting lineup. Uh, I think they've only got nine of their 22 from last year who are going to be 27 or younger next year that you can just pen in and say, yes, Ivan Pace, Josh Metellus, Cam Bynum, Addison, Derisaw, Jefferson. This includes Hawkinson and Josh Oliver and then Byron Murphy. Five on offense, four on defense. It's not a whole lot, not a whole lot of youth. You've got some older guys that are coming back. Obviously, O'Neal, who was not the same player last year while playing injured, uh, Garrett Bradbury and Harrison Phillips on the defensive side. But Matt, the, the cupboard's bare. And I just don't know how this is going to be a one-year kind of fix. I completely agree. And I think that if you're looking at the roster through the most objective lens you can, which is, you know, write it out on a notepad, just write out like you just did, like write out no. who you really have. Now, Go over to San Francisco's roster or Baltimore. Now write out who they have and just write down the players who matter. I don't even care about their age. Write down the players who matter. Players who move the needle. So you bring up like Josh Oliver, Harrison Phillips. Again, these are good NFL players. Do they move the needle? No, they do not. They do not determine championships. Those aren't the type of players that do. How many players truly move the needle? Because what this game always comes down to is the quarterback, of course, and how many great players you have. I mean, when when we talk about like Quasi Dafomensa and going full Rams and that sort of sort of thing that he said, you think about that Rams team and just go through how many great players they have, truly great, and they were able to bring in a couple more. Odell Beckham is a difference maker. Vaughn Miller is a difference maker. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup was the best receiver in the league. Let's not forget they had the number one pass blocking offense that year, and they had one of the greatest left tackles in the history of the United States of America. Like that, that, how many players is that? And I might be forgetting people. That's like seven or eight all pro caliber superstar. Make some case for the Hall of Fame for some of those guys at some point. How many do the Vikings have? They have one and a half, probably. I mean, Justin Jefferson is clear. I think Christian Derrissaw is a great player. Uh, I wouldn't put him in the category of Andrew Whitworth, but I think he's a great player. And uh, Jordan Addison ish. I, right, and then what? Like Hawkinson is a, a well above average tight end. I, I think he had a, a good year overall, was a difference maker. I don't think we can talk about him as like a Jalen Ramsey or Aaron Donald of his position, right? So he, yeah. how he many had, true difference makers? To Yeah, to nitpick, I think you could put him in that category. But yeah, not, okay. not, not Josh Metellus, not Cam Bynum, not Ivan Pace at this point. And also, can an inside linebacker ever be? Really? I mean, Roquan Smith is making a big deal in, in Baltimore and, and making a big change for them. But I think you could put a different guy in there and they're still the one seed probably in Baltimore. So, um, yeah, to your point, not many. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if we put Hawkinson there, which, I again, I like Hawkinson a lot. I mean, I think he's a very good player, but it, it's not like a 
Tony Gonzalez, Rob Gronkowski type of to that level where we're when we're talking about Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, uh, Andrew Whitworth. Like that's four players who will make a case for the Hall of Fame. Like that's what I'm talking about. I don't know that TJ Hawkinson is like that level. And I don't know that even Christian Darisaw is of that level. And that's usually what you have on your roster. And in Baltimore's case, they're going to have a two-time MVP by 26 yeah. years old at quarterback. Like this is, th- this matters. You're trying to win the Super Bowl, right? And so for the Vikings, the question is not just how you fill these spots. And I was thinking about the other day about how they've been spot filling for so long where they go out. And and just as an example of like difference makers versus good NFL players, Delvin Tomlinson is a very good NFL player. He's a super smart guy. We all liked covering him and everything else. Really good player. But that's not what Linval Joseph was to them in 2017. That's not your top three at your position, your top five at your position. And the Vikings have signed a bunch of those guys through the years. Peterson was really good for them. And, you know, even Zadarius Smith, he was probably closer to that, like, true difference maker. Uh, You know, they signed Sheldon Richardson. Like, these are good players who have been helpful, but it's just not enough, right? Because those players, those good, real good players, but not Aaron Donald level, they need to be within a system with lots of other quality players. And when we talk about starters on defense, I don't think you just need to fill out the starting lineup. I think you need like 15 defensive players. And when we go through 2017, and I'm only setting the bar at how do you compete for a Super Bowl because everything else is pointless. To like if you're going to talk about like where you're aiming, where you're trying to set your target. And we go through 2017. We've seen you and I have been in the locker room of a number one defense. Let's go through it. I mean, Hunter Everson Griffin, all world players, Linval Joseph, best nose tackle in the league in that season. Two Pro Bowl linebackers, one of them an All-Pro, the best shutdown corner in the league that year. And, oh, by the way, those guys weren't the best player on that defense. That was Harrison Smith. That's the bar that you have to reach. How far are they away from that? All of them. Every Gestures and everything. Everything I just named, they have none of that. Ivan Pace is nice. Josh Metellus is nice. Those, those are good players. Those are of those Delvin Tomlinson. You definitely want that guy in your team. They are not Everson Griffin, right? So... That's the thing. Here's the most concerning part to me on that. And to your point, yeah, you can be the Niners and you can go sign uh, Javon Hargrave and it can matter because you're the Niners. Yeah, you've got that roster. Um, In the Vikings in that 2017 year, they had uh, Tom Johnson on the defensive line who still has had the most interior pressures for a Vikings defensive tackle, I think, since PFF started tracking them in 2012. So I don't, I believe that's true. Maybe somebody surpassed him, but I can't imagine who. he did at one point, at least as of a few years ago. And then Brian Robison was the number three defensive end who was fantastic. But yeah, the number three for that starting group, this all comes around to the point that of the group that I mentioned of 27 or younger starters. And yeah, you, you as you say, they're not all difference makers. Very few of them are. None of them were even defensive linemen. None of them. Like what, what's this defensive line going to look like? Even, even if you bring back Hunter, you're paying then a guy who deserves it, lives up to it, but he's going to be what 30, I think next year. Um, this is, that's the only guy then the only guy that you have any connection to. That is a guy that truly will be a difference maker. I don't know what this defensive line is going to look like. Brian Flores certainly looks like he's coming back in 2024. They're going to need even more of his magic to create pressure against quarterbacks because if Hunter's not here, if you don't even have the hope of two and a half games of Marcus Davenport, um, I, I, I feel like this is going to have to be an offseason where 
much of their financial resources again after Zadarius Smith and again after Marcus Davenport are going to have to be spent on bringing in help on that defensive line, both veteran-wise, and then once you get to the draft, right after quarterback, those needs are, again, pass rusher and corner because what they need is incredibly expensive, in especially in the free agent market too. So that goes back to the draft of missing on the secondary pieces, missing on the guys who can cover, missing on the guys who can rush the passer. Where was Patrick Jones this year? He, it really would have been really nice for a third-year, uh, third-round pick to emerge, and he did not. And we just know who DJ Wanham is at this point. He's not even Brian Robinson. So I think this is the D line is the part that if you're going to pin it down on one thing and say, boy, the cover is incredibly bare. I don't even know if it's corner because at least you have Byron Murphy. To, to me, it's the entire defensive line. Think about this. I mean, as of right now, considering contract situation, Harrison Phillips is the only guy that you would take with you in the future that you that you have on the roster because I, I think Patrick Jones is probably not an NFL player, uh, maybe yeah. a special teamer, but I, I think him. Mean, he was rated by PFF dead last of all players that played more than 500 snaps and uh, all 22 confirms. I, I think he was a guy that you couldn't play. Uh, at least DJ Wanham is a guy you could play, but again, not even close to a difference maker. And and so Jonathan Bullard, I mean, these guys, all of them, I actually felt bad for certain players by the end because Jonathan Bullard's career high in snaps was like 400 wow. and it was years ago. And, and this year he was asked <laughs> to play like 700. Harrison Phillips, same thing. When Harrison Phillips was in Buffalo, he was a 500 snap run stuffing yep. three tech he was a glorified shamar stefan and i mean that as a compliment like that's a good player to have but this year they asked him to be linball joseph and Kevin he's Williams. just not that yeah, yeah right it's yep. just not that they were asking him to play 800 900 snaps they were the guys were so in over their head i think that's my theory on why they collapsed as a defense is that they had so many players playing over their role that eventually they were sort of exposed when they played better teams. And, you know, Harrison Phillips is battling through injury out there. I mean, they were just asking way too much of these guys. And so you not only when you have a defensive line, it's not only front four, the good teams have six and they have eight. They have two more guys. You mentioned like Tom Johnson, Shamar Stefan would rotate back and forth. Brian Robinson. There was a game. Everson Griffin got hurt. I think Washington 2017 B Rob comes in, has a good game. It's like, yeah, that guy's a third down rotational rusher who could also play 70 snaps. If you need him to, they don't have any of that. And this is a problem that goes back to yet. Yeah, you mentioned the 2022 draft. But also, I mean, way before that, from all of the Andre Patterson specials where they drafted mid-round defensive linemen hoping they would find the next Daniil Hunter, and they just didn't. And then with the interior, they haven't spent any draft capital on the interior. They, again, sort of rolled the dice and hoped that Jaleel Johnson or Jaqueline Roy or one of these guys. here. The reality about the defensive line is when we go through the best of the best, and there are outliers, and of course, Daniil Hunter is one of them, Max Crosby is one of them but what you usually find is it's bosa it's garrett it's like guys that you have to draft micah parsons aaron donald at the very very top 15 type of picks is what you need to use to rebuild that so as they go into this draft you've got a quarterback decision to be made and so forth but you also it's like you know you need to spend the number 11 pick on about four different positions or five different positions but they only have one and what this leads me to all all roads lead back to the quarterback position because and you mentioned spending the money look at the top guys like christian wilkins brian burns if they look at this team are they going oh i can't wait to go there 
I mean, of course not. Those guys want to sign with teams that are competing for a championship. There's no evidence that this team is competing for a championship. And those guys have agents who have over the cap.com. Like they can, they can look at uh, what every team is doing. They have the standings. They know what your roster is going to look like. Why would Christian Wilkins come to play for the Vikings unless they offered him way more than anyone else, which you don't want to do anyway, because it's not very efficient. This thing is like almost everything else in life. If you try to take a shortcut, it's going to screw you up, right? Ask me trying to put together just about anything. I'm like, (laughs) Well, you know, this doesn't need to go there. This, the directions, whatever, don't matter. And guess what? The thing falls apart. And we, and my thing is we've seen this happen so many times with this team where it's patchwork, patchwork, patchwork. That's why I mentioned those players that they signed, they actually worked and it still did nothing. It actually worked to sign Zedarius Smith and it did nothing. And then when one doesn't work, it crushes you like Marcus Davenport. So are you going to go out? And spend all this money and push all this cap space down the road for Marcus Davenport level signings. Just, I mean, folks can do their own research if they want to, to make this uh, McAfee show ask. They can do their own research if they want to, but go look at teams who have tried to just throw it all together through free agency. There's not many examples of that working. Uh, It's usually, it has to be a multi-year type of rebuild. And I actually thought the 2023 draft class had some nice offerings, you know, wide receiver, Makai Blackman. So you've got some things to work with, but you're so far away from those other teams that we talked about that I don't see how you can bring back a very expensive veteran quarterback. And I also don't see why Kirk Cousins would want to stay. And I mean, he loves Minnesota. Minnesota now loves him. But aside from that, like, what's the argument? The, the Vikings aren't the only team with a great receiver, by the way, right? Like, they're not. It's, oh, well, they've got Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the playoffs. I'm seeing Amon Ross St. Brown, Puka Nakua. You look at, uh, it's no, no surprise, like, Belichick is interested in Atlanta. Why? Because they've got a really good young roster with tons of playmakers. I mean, I don't think that this marriage works for either side, other than just, like, trying to stay together for the kids, I guess, because the, they like each other. Ah, uh, yeah. I think you gotta, you can't overlook the confidence, the self-confidence of, yeah, we were 13 and four a year ago. Kirk was playing his best football. You know what? Well, right with that defense, boy, lights out three and oh shutout in December. You know, if only we had a couple more pieces. Um, I feel like we've heard coaches, you know, both on and off the record, talk about that of just how close they felt last year. If Kirk hadn't gotten down and how they weathered Justin Jefferson's injury and all those things. And a lot of that, uh, some of that is true. And, and, but some of it's also wishful thinking, which you kind of have to do, right. If your job is tied to this, this roster. Um, so yeah, I, I think with Kirk, I think he wants to be back. I, I think you would probably think the same thing based on everything we've heard from him publicly and, and people around him. Um, and I think they want him back because I don't think they want to start a rookie quarterback week one. Now, Quase Adolfo Mensa says he hasn't been told directly we're not starting one or this, we can't do this. Or, you know, that's not the directive necessarily. But look at how much this offense struggled with young, inexperienced quarterbacks. I don't think this is a um, Houston Texans or even Green Bay Packers style system that is easy on younger quarterbacks like CJ Stroud walking in or, or Jordan Love in his first year starting. 
Um, I, I do think this is going to be more difficult. It's going to be more like a, a 49ers where it takes a, a Brock Purdy or somebody who's just so great at processing and taking in a ton of information like a Kirk Cousins and succeeding with it. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. But the one question I wanted to get to before we move on about this roster with you is, how well do you think it is suited for a young quarterback coming in? Because when we talk about the pieces they do have, seemingly they're all the ones that a young quarterback would want. Yeah, uh, just a, a quick point um, on something you said there mm -hmm. about feeling like you're close. Uh, the Vikings did lose a lot of close games that came down to this thing or that thing. The San Francisco 49ers outscored their opponents by 194 points. And, of course, I looked this up. I looked up since 2010, the point differentials of every team that reached the Super Bowl. Yeah, There were 26 teams since 2010 to reach the Super Bowl, and only five of them were less than plus 100. And most of them, I think there was a very few in between. It was like plus 110 and up all the way to plus 200 was every team that reached the Super Bowl. So to me, that's the bar. It's not. Oh, man, if we had just not had that fumble, if we had only uh, had Brandon Powell push the other tush cheek, no, that's not that's that's great. And that sounds great. If you're a coach, it really does. But my question is, how are you going to outscore your opponents by 110 points in the regular season? Because they've never done that in the Kirk Cousins era. Never. The closest they got was 104 in 2019, and that was their strongest Kirk Cousins team, their best shot to make it. They won a playoff game against New Orleans. It was a good football team. But that's the bar, and you're not anywhere close. I don't care if Justin Jefferson fumbled out of the back of the end zone in Philadelphia. Every team can do that. Every single team can go, well, if there wasn't this penalty flag, well, if there wasn't this and this, they can point to five, six, seven games that were described, you know, just a whisker yeah. away. But that's not how that's not what makes a strong Super Bowl caliber team. So I think if they're talking themselves into, well, if we only had Kirk, then you also would have gotten run out of the building probably by Detroit a couple times at the end of the year when your defense fell apart anyway. Uh, back to your question. I think that there are this is the irony of the Vikings roster is that there are holes everywhere. And yet in the positions that would most matter to a young quarterback, they are fantastic. They are fantastic at tackle. I think with Brian O'Neill, an offseason, a healthy offseason is going to matter to him. Uh, we did see a decent season until the very end from Garrett Bradbury. I think he solidified himself as a fine player. Ed Ingram was an average guard this year, which is a massive improvement. And then they've got the whole at left guard, but they were a good pass blocking unit overall, which is how Nick Mullins threw for 400 yards against the Lions a couple times. Uh, and you have the greatest receiver in the world. And then the other guy is also awesome. And then the tight end is top five at his position. I, I mean, and then you have a coach who, despite the criticism toward the end of the year, which I think some was fair, some was not about play calling and adjusting offense and everything else, all that stuff, who could get in the headset of a quarterback showing up off of the bench and guide that player through a winning football game in Atlanta. I mean, a guy, a guy who has played the position can put himself in that helmet. Like how many teams have those things to offer a rookie quarterback? And that's why I think that all roads lead to draft a quarterback, put that guy in there, play and be competitive this year, and then really go for it the year after that. As you've rebuilt some of these pieces, you've had another draft, you've developed some more players, all roads lead that. And, and if they get there, then it will look like their plan also worked 
when Kwesi Adafo Mensah and Kevin O'Connell got here because when they talked about competitive rebuild, mm-hmm. that was my interpretation is we're going to try to fight through it with Kirk and then draft another quarterback and then go all in after that. And if you don't and you deviate, I'm, then I'm going to think there really isn't a plan. It's just the same plan as the other plan, and that got two people fired. <laughs> you mean in terms of if you bring Kirk back and draft a guy? That's that's well, what you're saying? I, well, I, I don't think you could do that. Uh, well, you actually, if they do, congratulations, you're probably drafting the next regime's quarterback. So that's that's good. Good for you. But, uh, no, I, well, think about this. I mean, if you bring back Kirk Cousins, what's the expectation? It's not, it's not just make the playoffs. It's not just hang around. The expectation is the same as when they signed him the first time, which is if you're not in championship weekend, then you failed. And how are you going to get there? Well, not by drafting a quarterback in the first round. You got to draft that edge rusher. You better you better find your Micah Parsons, right? I mean, that they, they have to win now. You can't what you can't waste everybody's time by drafting Kirk Cousins just so you can win eight games. I don't I mean, know. It doesn't I, make any sense. You got to go all in. Extending Cousins and drafting your quarterback sounds like you are. If this regime, it sounds like they're extending their runway by doing that. They feel like they feel like because then you can always just point to the rookie and say, well, this was our plan all along. Kirk is here to bring that guy along. And this young guy couldn't be uh, CJ Stroud in our offense because that's just not how we do things here. And it's it's just not that that's not how this system is run. They can't snap their fingers and change it. They're not all of a sudden going to put less on the quarterback. This is just how they do things. So I do think it would have been fascinating to see if they get an Anthony Richardson type or somebody like that who is coming from a, a, a place where he needs to learn more because clearly CJ Stroud played a much more pro style offense or seemed more ready for it than some of these other quarterbacks coming in. So I think it'll be fascinating. I just, I do think that in that building, there's a coaching, maybe the front office doesn't believe this, but there's a coaching thought of, I don't know if these rookie quarterbacks are ready to jump in right away for what we do. Well, then whose problem is that? That's that, then that's a coaching problem. If yeah. you can't ad- adapt what you're doing, to fit the greatest receiver in the world and his buddy, who's also awesome and your good offensive line. And I'm look, there's room for improvement in the running game, mm. massive room for improvement that you'd have to try to be worse than they were this year in the run game. If you can't like, why are people talking about Bobby Slowick as a head coaching candidate? Why do people think Matt LaFleur is a great coach? Because halfway through the season, LaFleur adapted to the strengths of his quarterback it's a, that's what all great coaches historically have ever done, which is adapt to the players you have. We even saw the guy on the defensive side do it incredibly well this year with Brian Flores making all the adjustments and finding roles for players and everything else. If you think the only way to play offense is to run the same scheme that you ran with Matthew Stafford, good luck finding more Matthew Staffords who are 34 years old or whatever. I mean, that to me, again, seems like me trying to put together the captain or whatever, where I'm just like, no, I'll just do it the way I I want to do it and try to take this shortcut. Um, but I, it look, I mean, the pressure should be entirely on, all in on this season from the way we view it, regardless of whether they draft a quarterback. And, and I think that you can say and you can, it sounds great to be like, well, we'll just have our bridge and we'll compete and then we'll competitive compete, whatever else. How did it feel to go seven and 10 this year? How were the fans feeling? Remember when the Wilfs didn't go down to the locker room after Green Bay? The pressure ramps up so fast. And the minute you bring back Kirk Cousins, the pressure is at 10 to win this year. And you could say, well, no, it'd be fine to just make the playoffs. Well, if they check down on fourth and eight again and are out of the playoffs after going nine and eight or something, I mean, everyone deserves to be fired at that point.
That's true. That's true. Uh, in terms of the winning cures all, um, certainly. All right. Well, let's get quickly to one of my favorite things. Um, we many years ago, uh, played a game called Stefan Diggs tweets or Confucius proverbs. And that just led us down a great rabbit hole of finding out just how great Stefan Diggs Twitter account truly is. If you're not familiar with it, it is the reason why every meme account tweets things like wide receivers tweet nothing but speak sharply and hold a knife or whatever. Um, Stefan Diggs tweets, all that kind of stuff and more. And I decided to collect a bunch of them from the 2023 season. I sent them to you, Matt. And I want to know what your favorite ones are. And I'll I'll start I'll start with my um favorite one because and I gotta scroll through them because there are so many of them. But um he wrote he ranges from everywhere from being a stand-up comedian, him tweeting on June 30th, you let him shenan once, they're gonna shenan again. <laughs> tweeting on July 16th, provision, period, nothing else. <laughs> what did you enjoy from the enjoy from the year of Stefan Diggs? Uh, I like that he was in Paris in June <laughs> and tweeted um, two things I learned in Paris. They don't believe in AC, which I've heard uh, as well. And the fruit over there is uh, tastes amazing. And um, <laughs> athletes, they're just like us, right? Like that's he goes to one of the great cities ever right just one of a, one of uh humans greatest accomplishments just paris right and the guy comes away he's like their fruit's awesome <laughs> just, great great fruit like hey would you would you see in paris like not the eiffel tower or not i had like a, a experience in an art museum and i cried it was uh there wh where did they get their mangoes insane july 4th paris y'all got fireworks or nah <laughs> he's not not in america july 4th he's in paris yeah. no do you guys celebrate uh the american holiday over here uh he said on april 9th <laughs> i used to be fly as bleep on easter <laughs> and i just want to know what that means like what like you used to dress up or oh my god yeah used that's to he, yeah is that he, what he means he definitely means he used to dress to the nines uh and and, and wear a lot of money uh on easter um this was a Peak wide receiver Twitter, July 16th. It took pain for me to find my purpose to make sure I was worthy. <laughs> I I uh I like this as well. Tried to watch Black Mirror a little confused. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's you know, all of us. That's all of us. Yeah. That happened that happens with a lot of shows. You know, they're yeah. just if a if a show's trying too hard to be too deep, I just bail. I just, you know. Give me stuff blowing up or whatever. It's just too much. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, again, you know, there's a lot of very relatable stuff here, except for I, I I've never done anything special for Easter. <laughs> you don't dress to the nines. Are you kidding me? When your uh, work for what? July 1st, when your work exceeds the expectations, make them move the goalposts. <laughs> <laughs> these are all you could frame these. I want to get these actually done in the backdrop here. I'm going to get one of yes. these framed like a motivational one, like with a cat hanging. And it says, like, just hang in there. Um, I'm going to get like a digs tweet that just says like, move the goalposts and it's just digs next to some goalposts. I like that. Yeah. He there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, uh, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of great stuff here, but great advice for the Vikings. He says July 1st, you want the formula. You got to put the work in regardless of the unknown. Totally agree. Draft a quarterback. <laughs> yep. I think that's what he was talking about. He also yep. had a series put the work in. 
he also had a series where he 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 tweeted out God's favors coming, God's the greatest in May, and then had to tweet out, I was listening to church. I don't know anything about anything else. Because <laughs> people were like, <laughs> What are you talking about? God, what? What's he gonna do for you? <laughs> but he also, his most famous tweet in Minnesota, time for a change. And I agree with him. I agree with him. Time for a change.